Hello, traders, analysts, and other followers of the energy industry. My name is Corey Stewart, and I'm a senior analyst with Refinitiv, your go-to partner for energy analysis and data. As always, I'm here with Jim Mitchell, Refinitiv's head of America's Oil Analysts, and we're going to take you through what's happening in energy in the Western Hemisphere. <clears throat> so, Jim, Canada has historically had an economy dependent upon its natural resources. And prior to COVID, we started to see increasing threats to the oil industry. Now, with all the turmoil, how's the scene looking there? Yeah, so Ottawa's distaste for the oil industry seems to be muted a little bit as Canada's largest industry contributes lower tax revenue. However, there are some positive things going on. There's two separate bills in their Congress that support oil and gas workers, uh, kind of a works projects administration kind of thing. Second, the construction is not stopped on the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. The 2,000 people that are employed by this project are creating a 600-mile expansion that will increase volume from about 300,000 barrels a day to about 890,000 barrels a day. The termination of the pipeline will be the docks around Burnby and Westridge on the outskirts of Vancouver. Now, Vancouver has filed the suit a couple of years ago, uh, but they haven't really weighed in in any substantial way. I suspect that that will be the next battleground. All right. All right. So, <clears throat> you know, my one real foray into geology had to do with looking at the Cryenhagen shell play in California. So even at that time, just like Canada, you know, the challenges were, were largely above the ground. So what's going on on the U.S. West Coast? Yeah, that, that trend is definitely alive and well as the, the state of California is making it more and more difficult to drill in California. California Research is a perfect example. They recently delayed their 10Q filing until mid-June as they try to stave off insolvency. They say the discussions with uh, creditors are going well, but we'll see how that works out. So if, if California loses local production, they're going to have to rely on either more foreign oil or ANS, Alaska North Slope, which is the most likely thing to happen. Some of the other alternatives uh, aren't going to really fit for California. For example, if they need to relax rail regulations to get some crude by rail, it may work in some parts of California. It's definitely not going to work in L.A. And a similar kind of thing, if they need to make pipeline uh, permitting easier, that may work in some parts of the state but it definitely is not going to work in LA. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, pull us away from the West coast here. So what else you got going on in the U S so we're seeing a growth in the trend of the purpose of debt in the energy business. So no longer will the talk be about maximizing debt to maximize growth. The talk is now becoming more about sustainable debt levels for continued growth. Sounds simple, but that that small mindset change will squarely put these two business models in conflict. The sustainable growth model will plot along delivering lower but consistent results versus competitors, both foreign and domestic, that can still lever up for debt fuel growth and will run the moral hazard of blowing up when the inevitable credit event comes. This will be played out in every industry in every country around the world, not just energy. In the oil producer space, we see the 
investment pathology of debt fueled growth playing out. Rystead Energy suggests that the over-under for the number of U.S. oil producers filing bankruptcy in 2020 at 140. I currently know of seven. I'd argue a lower number of bankruptcies and a larger number of zombie corps. Now, zombie corps are going to come from the liquidation side of bankruptcy, not the reorganizational side. The reason for the zombie corp being banks and other financial institutions will want to maximize their investment which means weighing the ongoing revenue stream, albeit at a loss, as opposed to forced asset sales, which in this market environment will be a substantial loss. And if that doesn't tighten everybody up a little bit, think about this. This debt-fueled growth pathology is also playing out in sovereign debt markets. That's what scares me even more. The scope of that is like a 70s-style currency crisis. Yeah, I've got some some stuff on that as well. But um, I'll tell you what, bring me geographically closer to my neighborhood. I bet you got to more 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 there to say about debt. What's happening across the border? <laughs> I do, yeah. So the existing trends in Mexico uh, will persist for a while. Mexico has substantial, close to debilitating debt levels, as does Pemex. That $8 billion refinery project that they're talking about makes for good conversation, but it'll likely stop there. If, however, Mexico and or Pemex do spend money on environmental or engineering studies, that will be something to take notice. Mexico and Pemex will be better served upgrading their ports and pipeline infrastructure, as well as engage in the expansion creep that we saw in the U.S. Expansion creep is adding a unit here, de-bottlenecking a process there. It was the process that U.S. refineries went through in the early 2000s. There are some positive developments uh, going on in Mexico. There is at least one, maybe two, companies loading rail product from the KC Southern Terminal in Corpus Christi and railing it down via the KC Southern Mexico rail line to two terminals around Monterey, Mexico. KC Southern also loads in Magellan, Galena Park, and ITC Laporte, both here in the Houston area. And for what it's worth, KC Southern also rails refined product from Veracruz to Mexico City. And with their partner, WTC, they rail product from Tampico to the San Luis Potosi market on the KC Southern Mexico line. Finally, Newstar has three pipeline border points. One is a bit north of Laredo, Texas, on the Odom and Laredo pipeline, one around Brownsville, Texas, and one around McAllen, Texas, on the expanded Valley pipeline, all of which are feeding the 4.8 million people in the Monterey metropolitan area. So, Corey, are you seeing some similar themes in Latin America? Um, actually, yes. And uh, just to kind of go back for just a minute on, on some of the sovereign stuff. So, you know, just to add to that, you know, thus far, we've seen central banks around the world, uh, you know, attempting to stave off the coronavirus impacts, you know, by pumping 15 trillion of stimulus into the system. You know, this has come through cuts and budget spending and through bond buying, you know, which according to the Institute of Inter International Finance, will bring global debt to GDP by the end of the year to 342%. 
But if we look to South America and more specifically Brazil, where I'll spend much of my focus today, the country has long struggled to maintain annual GDP growth above 2%. Now its bond buying program threatens to push public debt to 77.2% of GDP by year end and for interest rates there to rise. So this will, of course, make it increasingly harder for the country to achieve meaningful growth. But, you know, if we turn further into, uh, you know, Petrobras there, uh, the company was once the most indebted producer in the industry and ended 2019 with about $87 billion in debt. As far as its plan to reduce that debt, the company decided to sell off many of its non-core assets. And falling under this umbrella were eight refineries with just over 1 million barrels per day of capacity. Uh, over the course of 20 to 24, they expected to sell these assets, yielding 20 to $30 billion that they had applied to, to relieve their debt burden. Well, this craziness in the world uh, has led the company to put aside its 2020 reduction target. It expects that it will end 2020 with the same debt burden it ended with 2019. That's 87 billion gross. And after extending the deadline for binding offers for those refineries to June, it turns out that groups actually interested in acquiring the refineries are facing increasing hurdles in financing these acquisitions. <clears throat> so, any good news for, for Brazil? Well, the last two episodes I've spoken about COVID affecting workers on several of Petrobras's platforms, and the company has, but the company has just discovered more oil offshore in southern Brazil. One of those discoveries is in the Bucios field. And that oil looks like the other Bucios grade, uh, most recently discovered and making its way to China. Um, you know, this morning on on call, on the Petrobras call, uh, the execs were actually talking about their relationship with the teapots in China. So uh, we expect that to continue making its way there. I've been looking at the Icon Flows data. Uh, here's some numbers for you. So over the just 1.4 million barrels per day that Brazil exported in April, about 370,000 of that was sent to China. And interestingly enough, roughly 340,000 340, uh, BPD was discharged in Singapore. Uh, now, Singapore has about 1.5 million barrels per day of refining capacity. May saw close to 1.7 million barrels per day come out of Brazil, China taking about 660,000 barrels per day, Singapore 360. And finally, the schedule thus far for June is absolute exports at nearly 29 million barrels, with over 83% of that going to China. And one last thing before I move on uh, about Brazil. I mentioned in the last two episodes that they've been the hardest hit of any Latin American country by the coronavirus. Uh, that is true, but the greater truth is um, that Brazil has been the hardest hit of all developing nations. So, And the downplaying of the virus has gotten President Bolsonaro into real hot water. There's more there to unpack, but as it relates to the oil industry today, that's a bit out of scope. So moving on, Colombia. Uh, the dengue epidemic started in 2018 and reached a high of 3.1 million in 2019 across Latin America. Uh, COVID has taken much of the attention off dengue in Colombia, but the threat there is still very real. And people there possibly affected by dengue are, are avoiding the hospital so as to avoid being infected with the coronavirus. Now, in the oil news here, Colombia's Ecopetrol has felt the sting of the demand slowdown and has cut its planned 2020 capital expenditures for the second time this year. Originally thought to be about $5.5 billion in 2020, the company now expects that expenditure will be half, uh, be half that, around a 95% year-over-year decline in first-quarter profits. Ecopetrol is an integrated oil company, for those of you who don't know, and according to Refinitiv data, more than half of the company's profits come from E&P. 
the company expected to produce around 750,000 barrels per day this year. Now its estimate now is it's nearly 100,000 barrels per day less. It's going to continue to be a tough year there. Okay, and finally for me today, Venezuela. Um, there's just so much going on there. I can't even begin to cover it. Uh, according to Refinitiv Icon data, at least one tanker, but possibly five, are laden with gasoline and heading to Venezuela from Iran. And several flights from Iran to Venezuela have reportedly held materials to help uh, the, the country restart its cat cracker at Cordon. This is, of course, drawn the ire of the U.S., but neither action will likely do much to help the country alleviate its fuel shortage. Another relations with Venezuela have also drawn the ire of the U.S. as well as FBI investigations. Two Mexican firms, Libre Obrador and Schlager Business Group, which are connected, uh, have allegedly engaged with Venezuela in an oil-for-food scheme, where the companies have lifted Venezuelan oil for sale in Asia. Thus far, the firms have taken a combined 24 million barrels of crude since 2019. What these investigations and developments mean for the oil market, I'll continue to monitor. So, Jen, that's all for me today. You have any closing thoughts? So, we've tried to highlight a few of the trends we're seeing in the America's oil markets. The common theme being the pathology of the debt-fueled growth strategy. This strategy will play out differently in different parts of the world, but play out at will. Next week, we'll look at a different kind of strategy that has existed profitably for both oil producers and oil refiners, the strategy of efficiency. Sounds great. Can't wait, everyone. Have a great week.